What happens when work is purposeful? Impact happens, needles move, and we build better. I'm Elena Kersey, and welcome to The Purpose Effect, the podcast where you learn how to create work lives of purpose from the women who are doing it. So the aim for us is to scale sustainability. And when you have a brand, essentially, you're kind of telling people to buy physical product. How can you ever reach sustainability? So a sustainable fashion business is also for the sustainability and well-being of the people involved in the brand, not just the planet and the consumers. With Tiles World, I saw like a way to basically scale sustainability to make sustainable fashion the new standard. I've been wanting to talk about sustainable fashion for a while, so I am super excited to dive into the deep end on this with today's guest, Stephanie Srikandi. Stephanie is a serial sustainable fashion entrepreneur who started her first fashion business, This Is a Love Song, in Bali in 2010. This Is a Love Song is a collection of ethically made clothing essentials, which has been picked up by international retailers like Revolve Clothing, Nasty Gal, and ASOS. In order to give more fashion brands access to ethical and sustainable production, Stephanie then set up Tile Studio, an ethical fashion manufacturer in Bali, and launched a fashion business program for aspiring fashion entrepreneurs. But in her latest project, Stephanie brings all of the pieces of this puzzle together in Tile's world, a sustainable fashion hub in Web3. And this episode is part of a mini-series about women using Web3 technologies to rebuild industries better. Stephanie and I talk about the tension between sustainability and consumer brands, because buying more is inherently unsustainable. We talk about how Web3 will become part of a brand's marketing strategy and why it's so important to involve your customers in your brand's journey. But to begin with, We talk about where Stephanie's journey began. Well, I always knew that I wanted to do something in fashion ever since I was a little girl. Like, I know that sounds really cliche, but I was like, I want to be a fashion designer. And then I went to a fashion business school in Jakarta after high school. And then I realized, oh, there's a whole other world of like fashion entrepreneurship, being able to start your, you know, fashion brand. And I think that idea didn't necessarily scare me because both of my parents were entrepreneurs. So I always saw them working on their own businesses. So, you know, I kind of gravitated towards that idea. But initially, I actually didn't start my clothing brand right away. I started a jewelry brand. Um, So that was my initial foray (laughs) into uh, fashion business. But at the time, I was also working as a visual merchandiser, um, you know, because having to basically save up to start a business. Like at the time I was in my early twenties, you know, I was just trying out things. I think I was lucky to be able to be in Bali because it is a very inspirational place with a lot of resources. And of course, being partially Indonesian helps as well because I was able to, uh, you know, work with local communities, uh, find local, not necessarily manufacturers, but um, sewers and and really work with people and forge these relationships. Like I went to fashion business school, but it didn't really teach how to start a brand. It teaches you how to be like an employee, you know? And um, so a lot of things I had to 
also learn by doing. I started super simple. I just wanted to have something to wear because this was 2010. At the time, you know, there was no brand in Bali aside from resort wear. And for the older demographic, again, I was in my early 20s. I just couldn't find like normal casual t-shirts that I could wear. And, you know, there's there was no Zara and H&M, thankfully, as well at the time. So there was just no like store where you can just get a nice basic t-shirt. And so that was the initial idea was to create organic cotton tees. And I was traveling and as well. And through those travels, I was collecting like vintage materials. And there's one amazing like vintage market here in Bali as well, where I would buy these shirts and they had really cool prints. So what I did was I would repurpose the fabric and put uh, the fabric as a pocket on these, you know, top singlets. And it really took off, you know, like the tourists were coming in and it was like the mom and the daughter and they could match, you know, with the singlet and the t-shirt. And it was just small batch like manufacturing. And it initially started because I myself couldn't find what I really wanted to wear on the day-to-day basis. And being in Bali where everybody is creative and there was, you know, resources that you could, you could go get something made. So I just did that. And that's literally how This Is A Love Song started without like any plan. I didn't really have like a business plan, nothing. It just really was something that I wanted to wear that I knew in Bali there was also like a gap. And so I felt that gap. And then everything was very organic uh, for the first, I would say, two years. But then things sped up pretty quickly, right? Because Now you have not only This Is A Love Song, but also Tiles Studio, your fashion production business, and Tiles World, your Web3 project. You definitely strike me as somebody who sees opportunities and then very quickly dives into them and makes things happen. Maybe that's virtue of you having two entrepreneurial parents growing up. So This Is A Love Song, it started as basics, right? Everyday wear, but then you very quickly scaled that. How did you do that? How did you know that this was something that people outside of Bali were going to be interested in? It wasn't just for tourists. So thankfully, uh, the store uh, at the time, it was in the street called Oberoi. So there was, you know, people coming in. It was really cool. Like I met Bjork, the singer Bjork, like she came in like once and Cara Delevingne, like it was just, you know, people went and swapped there. And I think that's when like it, you know, I had this idea of, okay, let's maybe bring this internationally. And this was even before like Instagram, like before, I mean, there was Shopify, but it wasn't e-commerce as we know it. Like you said, like, I, I like to spot opportunities and you're right. And I always just like to challenge myself. So at the time, the challenge was, hey, like, let's see how far we can take this, you know? So I decided to email wholesale agents. It was like, a list of people that I found and I just emailed them. I had a catalog. How did you find them? Online. And I still tell my students to do this, like go to your benchmark brands, look at their like stockist, just do more research. And then that research will lead to something else. So I just found wholesale agents and just cold emailed them, uh, my catalogs. And then one responded and was like, love this so much. Let's set a meeting. And it was like, the stars align because she was in New York and I had planned a trip 
to New York. And it was like a movie moment where I landed in this New York, like Big Apple with my like suitcases full of like samples. They signed um, on the spot. She was like, okay, you can leave your samples. Oh, wow. You know, all of a sudden it was like, okay, this is serious. And then I would say like two months in, we started getting like huge orders. At the time, like wholesale was really one of the only ways to, you know, gain a lot of traction. I I remember getting like an order and it was like from Nasty Gal. I don't know if you remember that store. And it was like 600 units of this one dress. And I was like, what? That is a lot. Like 600 people like are going to wear this. And at the time, uh, you know, with the brand, like I wasn't using um, sustainable materials or I didn't even know about that. Yeah. I was just producing in Bali because of, and this core mission hasn't changed, which is to support the local community. I'm from here. I wanted to make sure that if I were to start a business, I can somehow give back. Yeah. And I definitely didn't want to, yeah, create a fashion brand at the expense of somebody else. That was actually the the pivotal moment of me starting my own studio. This is a love song. Had already like two or three successful like wholesale seasons in the U.S. So I had some capital, I guess, to like make uh, our own studio. But, um, you know, that was scary too, because I didn't know. I had no experience making or manufacturing. It's a whole different ballgame than just being a brand and ordering your clothing from a manufacturer to all of a sudden run and manage, you know, a whole team and from sampling to production. So let's just get into that for a minute. You got this order for 600 dresses. And was that the moment where you said, okay, I'm going to have to produce this myself because this is the only way that I'm going to be able to fulfill these kinds of orders whilst at the same time remaining true to our brand mission, which is empowering local communities and local garment makers. So was that just how you did it? Because there weren't any other good options at the time? So at the time, actually, like that was like one PO. There was like a a lot of those POs that came in a season. And I was not told at the time that, hey, these stores are not going to pay you a deposit. I was like, yay, like jumping up and down. And I was Money like, okay, so you know, like they're going to pay a deposit, right? And she's like, no, like you, they pay you net 30. <laughs> and I was like, what? Because it was a lot. And um, at the time I was working with a manufacturer here, But of course, I had to find a way to pay the deposit because they're not going to manufacture for free. free. And, um, you know, thankfully I had the store. So, you know, the store in Bali really helped because I was already making sales, but of course in the Bali market. Mm -hmm. And that was able to uh, fund the production. You know, I learned that the hard way, but I also believe that if you want something, you, you will find the resources no matter what. And I knew that I'm going to make it happen. As you said, the the business models have changed a little bit, but that's a huge barrier to entry, right? For smaller brands, a huge barrier Mm -hmm. um, to entry. So I I also want to talk about the shift then to making This Is A Love Song a sustainable brand and sustainability being such a core value for you, not just for This Is A Love Song, but also for your studio and the services mm-hmm. that you provide to other brands. Was the sustainability part also something that came out of the fact that you needed to make 
large amounts of clothing and you wanted to do them locally? Or was there another thing which made you think, hang on a minute, I want to create fashion which is timeless and not throw away Mm -hmm. and good quality and made of, you know, really good quality, um, planet-friendly materials? Yeah, that is a great question. I think this shift happened gradually. The sustainability aspect really didn't come until like I had Towel Studio because that's really when I became a manufacturer, working directly with like fabric suppliers, understanding what fabrics really are out there. In my life, I always learned so much from doing. Yeah. It was always, you know, finding better solutions every day on how to improve And of course, when, you know, you're working with like uh, suppliers um, on a B2B, they will give you like the the new stuff or like, hey, this fabric is this, right? So I was getting my hands on a lot, uh, all of a sudden, like more sustainable options. And I was like, hang on, like, these are really nice fabrics. And then I started educating myself because before that, I had no idea. I wasn't thinking about like, oh, this fabric is bad for the environment and Mm -hmm. especially Back then, you know, it wasn't such a big topic either. And I guess as soon as I could make better choices, I started just integrating that more and more. It's a constant learning process. Yeah. So it's just like once you open the door, you just, you know, go in, all in, especially because there's always like new innovations, new fabric. I think it's only been like the past five years where really there's a lot more options. Yeah. And a lot more consumer demand, right, for these kinds of products um, as consumers become more educated as well. The, the thing that I think is really interesting in fashion as a business is is the fact that the supply chain can be really complicated depending on what your product is. And like you just mentioned, there are so many different fabrics that the suppliers are coming to you with. As a brand owner, You might not know much about those fabrics, what their impact is on the environment, or whether or not they're ethical. And you're potentially only looking at it from a business perspective or a design perspective. Is this fabric going to be cost effective? Is it going to hang how I want or wash how I want? So given how complicated it is in fashion, what do you think it takes for a brand to really be an ethical brand or a sustainable brand? Really, it's, it is hard to truly, like, be sustainable. Consumerism is inherently, like, not sustainable. So I always like to start off with that. So yeah. new brand owners understand that there is no, like, 100% sustainability. And then being truly ethical, uh, that means that you have to understand all of your variables, starting from, like, the source of the raw materials, right? Like, knowing where it comes from. Where does it get harvested from that location? Where does it go? What is the fabric mill? You know, there's a lot of variables. So you have to figure out, okay, which variables do I want to understand and control? Mm -hmm. Um, And which ones align with my brand story? Because I think sustainable fashion brands need to have that authenticity. Yes. Why do you want your brand to be sustainable? If it's just because, oh, it's a trend and people are all doing that, then... your consumers are going to like catch that bluff and it's not going to be authentic. It's important first to figure out that why. And then you should focus on building an audience and then creating a product that is, of course, designed sustainably, meaning that 
It should, uh, you know, be timeless, create something with good quality. So hopefully it gets passed down, right? Yeah. Um, but then figure out, like, how do these products contribute to, like, a positive impact or, you know, whatever that could be. Like, will you donate or will you have a circular economy where maybe your consumers can, uh, you know, back the, yeah. their old clothes to you and you recycle. Like, it's all going to look so different for each brand. And through that transparency, you can educate your customers as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's so important for any brand, but particularly brands who have a purpose, in your case, sustainability. I think transparency and authenticity are so important in that conversation. And I also agree that it needs to be a customer-centric conversation, and those people can come along on the journey with you. But I wanted to ask, you've you touched on it earlier, this tension when you're selling any kind of consumer product between selling and sustainability. Because on the one hand, you're saying buy these products, but on the other hand, you're saying don't buy too much. Um, so how do you personally deal with that tension? For this is a love song, the tension between consumerism, but also sustainability. And what are you as a brand doing in terms of waste or production? Does that come into the conversation about sustainability? Yeah. I love what you said. It is kind of like a delicate balance. And sometimes I, I also have that conflict where I'm like, oh, I'm making physical products, but I really just want to scale sustainability. Two years ago, we started a campaign with a organization here in Bali called, called Four Smoothie for our campaign called One Tree with Tiles. Mm-hmm. And that was because we wanted to offset more carbon by planting trees. I'm not saying it's like a bad solution. It's still a good solution, but kind of promoting people to buy. And then from that, and then we're planting trees. <laughs> yeah. But of course, uh, a sustainable fashion business also means that you're considering like the three P's, right? So mm-hmm. like the people, the planet and the profit. So of course, I also have to think about like the people involved in uh, yeah. my brand. If I were to close my brand, there's a lot of families that wouldn't have a job. So closing my brand is not a solution, right? Yeah. But like how to find a solution where these three P's are like balanced. Yeah. With the wholesale, I don't do it the way I did it before. Um, well, wholesale changed a lot. But before it, it was, I did feel like conflicted that stores were ordering a lot yeah, I, I did see that waste problem, which is why I almost like flipped the switch. And now what we do, basically a hybrid model, like mm-hmm. we don't design like a year ahead of like ahead of time mm-hmm. and then make all of the samples and send them off to buyers. If you want to wholesale, you'll see everything. Either you like it, then we'll, and then if you place the order, you need to make a deposit and then we'll make it for you. Like So it's almost like made to order. Exactly. And now that you said that as well, we've implemented that with our um, like e-com as well with our retail. There's like 40% that we do carry like inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of, um, let's say, styles that we're, let's, we're experimenting with. Yeah. We'll make a small batch and then we'll test it out. If we are going to put it on the website, we'll order like the fabric. So in some yeah. of the styles, we'll see that it says pre-order and mm-hmm. it will be made in, in five business days. And having our own studio, 
it um, allows us to, to do that because we can then just make things like on demand. That way we're minimizing waste because we're not sitting on like finished stock. Yeah. And then if, for example, that fabric, for some reason, like we have left over, we can always repurpose it into a new design or a new sample. Because the one thing I hate the most is <laughs> having leftover fabric. I don't know. It's just like my goal in life is like, let's not have anything left over. Yes. No leftover fabric, no waste. But it's also, you were talking about making clothing on demand. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that it's kind of a recent thing, actually, that we can go into a store and buy an outfit and wear it immediately. Yeah in the grand scheme of the fashion industry, ready-to-wear is still pretty new. And previously, if you wanted an outfit, you had to wait for it. Most clothing was made to order. And I like the beauty of the fact that you're in some ways going back to that principle, but doing it in a very 2022 way. And also you're building a whole community around you as you do that, not just in terms of the, the customers who buy your clothing, but also the brands you work with, how you manufacture, and I think I could get into the weeds with you about all this stuff and how to make fashion more sustainable, what kinds of products we should be using, what kinds of materials we should be using. But now I want to talk about Web3, Tiles World, and the future of fashion and sustainable fashion in the Web3 space. So how did you get into Web3? Because it's a um, rabbit hole so for many I got people. Into Web- Um, Where do I begin? Well, I started, I guess, my Web3 journey like around a year ago. I I heard about NFTs before that, but I didn't unfortunately buy a board ape at the time, although I had (laughs) heard about it. Uh, (laughs) um, You know, at the time, it was such a boys club. It felt intimidating. And how I got into it was because I'm astrologically a Leo and I was just looking on OpenSea and I saw this like lion NFT and I'm like, Ooh, it's my birthday. I'm going to buy myself an NFT. So I bought like three of them. And then my partner was like, I'll buy it too. And so, uh, within that month, the thing went 30 X and I was like, what? Hold on. Like, because before that I was, you know, like a degen, I guess you can say like in crypto and with NFT, that was, I think what uh, lured me in was like, this market that I didn't understand, but there was this uh, market of people trading what I thought at the time was JPEGs. Like there wasn't much uh, utility NFTs, you know, it was a lot of animal pictures and everything. And, um, you know, even the communities that I was a part of at the time, it just felt more like of a crypto bro club. Yeah. So this was just a little over a year ago. I'm in one of the women-led communities um, called Boss Beauties. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. basically, like, that was one of the first projects where I felt like I-, I could relate as a woman. And I think at that time, there were more communities that were basically building where it was a little bit more women-focused and, you know, like, you could go into the communities and not be called sir yeah. <laughs> or bro, you know? Um, so, I yeah, I started to just really, like, the, I, I went back in to learn about these communities and it was just really interesting because in web two, I, I just like communities were kind of missing Yeah, um, for, for fashion brands anyway. Cause it's like Instagram, you know, you're the brand, here's the consumer. That's it. Like there was yeah. no two way conversation, but I was definitely struck by the fact that there was no like 
fashion NFT at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like art, fashion, it kind of makes sense, but there was no project. Yeah. Until I would say the beginning of the year where I discovered like two fashion projects and I just got really excited um, because I wanted to know like, okay, what, how are they going to integrate this uh, NFT and like the Web3 technology? And even then I didn't have, I didn't have an idea yet of Tiles World. I didn't think that I would start my NFT project, but then going into those communities going on Twitter spaces, just learning more every day. Like it was like, it sucked me in. Yeah. And then I had an aha moment one day, like it was that cliche aha moment. And I was like, oh my God, now I I see this opportunity to like scale sustainability and all of the things that I've been doing in web two can make sense in tiles world because I can bring them all together. And that can all be a part of the utility of our, yeah. Tiles World, which is called Tiles World because it's the world of this is a love song, Tall Studio, start your fashion business. Uh, I went into my studio, told my team, guys, we're going to go into Web3. And they were like, what? What, what is Web3? What, what is Web3? <laughs> like, it was like five team members that have been working on this with me and they have been very open-minded about it. Mm-hmm. They probably thought like, crazy but now they're like we're so thankful that you like brought us into this like journey and that we actually like went for it um because we started building end of april yeah and it feels like it's been forever (laughs) i'm yeah i'm just really really excited to continue to explore all the possibilities in the space so what are the goals of tiles world what what is the aim there what are you trying to bring together So the aim for us is to scale sustainability. And I think I mentioned earlier as well, when you have a brand, essentially you're kind of telling people to buy physical product. How can you ever reach sustainability when you're always needing to fulfill that by pushing physical product? And of course, you can't just close a business that, you know, because that has its own implications, right? So a sustainable fashion business is also for the sustainability and well-being of the people involved in the brand, yeah. not just the planet and the consumers. With Tiles World, I saw like a way to basically scale sustainability, which I will explain as well how we do that because it sounds like, okay, what the what does she mean with <laughs> that? But essentially like the bigger mission is to make sustainable fashion the new standard. Yeah. How we hope to do that is like, you know, the fashion industry generates a lot of waste. So obviously we need to consume better and more mindfully, but how can you like teach, you know, your community, right? And in Web3, everything is so community-based. In this setting, Mm -hmm. you're able to not only educate, but have ongoing conversations so people are aware and then can choose to consume mindfully. And with that, we're giving them options because, you know, with um, digital fashion, the production of a digital digital fashion garment produces 97% less CO2 than a physical garment, you know? So that's considerably different, right? Um, but of course, people are not all going to just rock <laughs> digital outfits. We need clothes in, in real life, right? Um, but at the same time, like, how can we integrate different experiences and connect further with our consumers so that we can gather 
uh, as a collective create like a healthier planet and a better future. So the way that we scale sustainability is through many different ways. Like one of them is co-creation. So you can co-create on your um, outfit that you want. So when you hold the NFT, you're going to be able to connect your wallet, choose the print that's associated in the NFT, then that print you can unlock it and then choose, I want to print it on this dress. So at the end, you get something that you've actually customized to some extent. So you love it because you chose. And, you know, through that, you're getting educated because there'll, there'll be like an education piece. And essentially, really, you're you're collaborating or co-creating with the garment makers at our studio because they will then make it when you redeem it. So they make it all on demand. Um, and on top of that, they'll be involved in the smart contract as well, which is one of the uh, game changers that other business models don't do. So it's really like a co-creation process where you're, you feel more of a connection with the garment. And hopefully because of that connection, you'll be consuming more mindfully. Sorry. So the garment maker is also on the smart contract. Does that mean that when you sell the product, that the outfit that you've co-created, the garment maker also has the opportunity to continue to earn from it? Yeah, from the NFT. So that totally changes the level of opportunity yeah, for the garment so maker, potentially. Hopefully we set that standard to be the new standard. I think royalties are such a big uh, driver. Apart from the garment makers, you um, as the designer, like the person co-creating on this outfit, right? You'll be able to get royalties as well. If, for example, that particular dress that you co-designed is sold through our website or maybe through our retailers, then that becomes also your access to royalties. It's really accessing opportunities. That's really what Tyler's World is about. And as an NFT holder, um, you get access to like resources, workshops, even being able to down the line apply for scholarships because we have our own fashion school. And then two additional utility that if you basically have multiple NFTs, if you get like a matching pair, you can get tw- up to 25% like design and sampling service uh, um, from Tile Studio. And if you collected four passes, any four passes, then you can get up to 50% lowered MOQ for production because you're essentially a member. So what it really is, it's a membership NFT. And I'm really wanting to steer away from using some Web3 lingo because I've learned with our uh, Web2 communities that we're trying to onboard, it's ca- it, that it can sound a little bit daunting. So I'm like, it's not an NFT, it's a membership pass. That's really what it is. It's a digital pass that unlocks opportunities in real life and also in in Web3. I'm really interested to hear from your perspective how you think Web3 might change the relationship between fashion consumers and, and fashion brands. Where you think the industry is going and how you think Web3 is going to change the fashion industry. I think you're going to see more brands. I mean, there's already every day like a brand coming out with a certain collection that can only be redeemed if you have the NFT, which also, you know, gives you access to an event like New York Fashion Week and things like that. So I think it's going to be a new strategy that brands adopt. 
And of course, it's going to trickle down, right? Because the Gucci's and the Pumas and Adidas were the first brands to really start it in the in the fashion space. And I think in the next year or two, you never know with timelines, I guess there's going to be like Web3 strategies will be like a digital marketing strategy, in my opinion. From being in like the Web3 space and inside the cohort, I know that there's now like no code solutions that are going to make it easier for brands in the future to drop a collection without having to write a smart contract and things like that. So I, I see it as like, if you compare it to the early days when I started my brand, like you had to build a website from scratch. There was no Shopify. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, now you can just go on Shopify, Squarespace, WooCommerce. That's what's going to happen with Web3. So I think we're going to interact differently with our consumers and consumers want more of that authenticity, I think, as well, which Web3 allows for that to happen more so than Web2. It doesn't cut it anymore when you make a brand with on-trend designs or a high, like high quality, but there's no story, there's no connection to it. Um, so I think connection is super important and Web3 enables that. It's exciting, but as a small brand, it, of course, it can be scary because it is a, like a new world, which, you know, it incorporates fidgetals, metaverse, like all of these unknown terms, right? But if you're just like, uh, you know, an independent designer or brand owner, at least try to submerge yourself in communities, perhaps like Tiles World or any other fashion Web3 community to like learn about how you can like integrate it slowly in your business. One very good example is like digital fashion. Digital fashion makes uh, sampling so much smoother, you know, more efficient. And like as a small business owner, it's such a good solution. So it doesn't necessarily have to be like, I need to do NFTs, right? Yeah. And as a new designer or a new brand, it also allows you to fund your collection, right? Yeah. You're not necessarily going to be in the position that you were in where, you know, Nasty Gal says, okay, yeah. we need 600 dresses, please. And <laughs> you have to figure out how you're going to pay for those before any of them have actually been sold. Exactly. That is a great point because your NFT holders are, you know, your supporters. Because even now in this space, everybody is very collaborative. Everyone's very like kind with their knowledge. And I don't know how long that's going to be like that. You just never really know when there's going to be uh, like the market will be more saturated later. But right now, like it's the perfect time to learn about it. Nobody's uh, gatekeeping. Everybody is so excited about this. And and there's so many cool tech being built every day. The space is just growing and growing and growing every day. Yeah. So when it comes to each of your businesses, this is a love song, Tile Studio, start your fashion brand. I know we haven't spoken very much about your fashion business course, but oh, yeah. <laughs> there's just so many businesses that you're involved in, Stephanie. It's uh, difficult <laughs> to squeeze it all into 40 minutes. Um, and now with Tile's World... Is there sort of a common thread of purpose that runs through all of this? What are you trying to achieve with all of these businesses? I call myself a sustainable fashion entrepreneur. And what I've come to discover that my purpose is to make sustainable fashion like the new normal or like the standard. 
And this is funny because somebody on TikTok was like, oh, well, we don't need any more fashion brands. Of course, we don't need any more fashion brands. But if somebody like a 15-year-old girl has a dream of wanting to start a fashion brand, that dream shouldn't be just disregarded. I even get comments about like, oh, NFTs and sustainable fashion don't go hand in hand. And at the end of the day, if we want to change the, you know, the fast fashion monopoly, we need to have more sustainable fashion brands or we need to have more brands that implement more sustainability. And somebody wanting to start a fashion brand, it can change the world or it can change their community. And for that in itself, it's a positive impact. And the same with like, oh, NFTs are not sustainable. Uh, Of course, there is that negative narrative about like crypto and NFTs. But in actual fact, it's also not true because how about paper money and plastic credit cards and, you know, banks that run on electricity and ATM networks. And and it makes me just more motivated to like show that, hey, if you educate yourself, it actually makes sense that we are, you know, incorporating also digital um, experiences, digital fashion into this. And on top of that, with the transparency that Web3 provides even, you can set a higher standard and hold other people accountable because transparency in sustainability, is, it's, it is hard, you know? Like a brand can say I'm yeah. sustainable or I'm doing ABC, but are they really? And so with the blockchain... It's going to be hard for brands to say A and and maybe do B, right? So that's also another um, thing to consider. And that's why, to me, I just see that as like uh, a way to be able to fulfill my mission, which is to make sustainable fashion the new normal or the new standard. Yeah. And I think, you know, yes, we may not need more fashion brands, but we can replace the less sustainable brands with more sustainable brands, right? Exactly. (laughs) And that's part of making it the norm, making it the new standard, you know, and educating the next Mm -hmm. generation of fashion professionals to these new standards. Yeah. And in doing so through Web3 and the transparency that enables, making the whole ecosystem more transparent, which is good for everybody, right? Yep. Thank you for setting that up. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what's next? What's the next business? Yeah. Right. What's the next? It's funny because I'm like, oh my God, I am doing so many things and I wish I had more time in the day, but you know, like everything has that, that mission, like that is like the overarching mission. Um, But what I'm currently working on right now is um, basically continuing my uh, fashion business course because We started in 2020 and now it's two years in. We have this awesome program, but it needs an update. Um, So I'm currently in the process of updating that and then also launching a few other courses, such as a fashion web three course. And, you know, like as essentially everything that I do, I, I'm not the type of mentor that wants to teach something that I haven't done myself. So the Kyle's World NFT was also a test to see, can I do this? Like, is it going to work? And now that I've, you know, launched that and I can now basically share those experiences because I do think that even small businesses should start making that shift, you know? 
So I hope with the new program that will help. Um, so I'm working on that. And basically over the next few months, the goal is to really just continue educating, continue onboarding because I have, I have a Web2 community and I, I love my fashion community in Web2. And um, I'm trying to basically hold their hand to go into Web3 yeah. through a series of like onboarding and making it just like fun and like a safe space uh, for them yeah. to to basically make sense for them. Uh, I know that yeah. takes time. So that uh, is the goal. Uh, so in the new year, I'll be launching the programs and basically every month um, we're going to be doing like some online event, whether it is for our Web2 community or our Web3 community, just to continue to like educate and hopefully have them cross over to one another. You know, all of those communities all share that passion for sustainable yeah. fashion. Next year, what my goal is, and I guess I'll just say it here to manifest it is, of course, yes. <laughs> to yes. have like Do a... <laughs> yeah, I'm the type of person I'm like, I'm just going to say it and then it will manifest. Is to have like a uh, an actual like, Tiles World Con about wow. sustainable yes. fashion, like yes. a retreat where, you know, like students from the brand can come do like a boot camp. The members from our Web3 community can come like all meet in Bali, learn about sustainable fashion. I mean, now that, of course, the borders are open, like I'm just plotting, like doing an offline event because <laughs> yeah. I think at the end of the day, you know, digital experience or like Having a digital experience is awesome, but finding a way to connect it back to like in real life because we can't lose our connection um, because, yeah, of course, we're going more into the metaverse. We're going more into like our, our screens, but we can't forget that um, human connection and in real life connection. Exciting. So many exciting things happening. Um, I've really loved having this conversation with you, Stephanie. Thank you so much. And, and I've learned a lot as well. It's certainly a masterclass in how to go from an idea and spin that idea out into so many different businesses with one single vision, which is to make the fashion, to make fashion sustainable and for that to be the benchmark. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much. I've really thank enjoyed this. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. And if anybody wants to check out what we do, you can always come into either the Web2 community or the Web3 community. It's, it's all there and everybody is welcome. If you're a fashion lover, thinking about starting a fashion brand or looking to make your fashion brand more sustainable, then you need to be part of Stephanie's community. The links to This Is A Love Song, Tile Studio, and her Web3 community, Tiles World, are all in the show notes. You can also find links to her fashion business course in the show notes too. If you missed them, check out the other episodes from the Women in Web3 series with Brie Yeck of Carbon Phi and Mel Lowe of Investera. And I'll be back in your ears with more stories of women building business purposefully in two weeks' time. Bye for now.